Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. You wouldn't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. So long, Dot. <laughs> Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from the basement at the Alamo, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Large Marge sent me. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. <laughs> La, 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 la. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing fine, Francis. You, sir? Doing great. Yeah. Tonight we are talking about Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, Professor, this was your pick, uh, but I think the three of us collectively decided with Paul Rubin's passing that this would be a good... Tribute? Yeah, to uh, the late to, Pee-wee to, Herman. To honor. And this incredible character that he created and basically lived... Oh, yeah. What's today's date? August 9th. Released on August 9th, 1985, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was directed by Tim Burton, screenplay by Phil Hartman, Paul Rubens, and Michael Varhol. Based on The Pee-wee Herman Show, a stage performance at the Roxy Theater in West Hollywood. And it stars Paul Rubens, E.G. Daly, Mark Holton, Diane Salinger, Judd Omen and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? This- <laughs> Can I be expecting that all night? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, fuck, I can't wait. <laughs> this movie was made for $7 million and it brought in $41 million. Which actually, for this caliber of movie, I think was really successful. Yeah, and speaking of this caliber of movie, this is Tim Burton's directorial debut this was actually the debut of the three powerhouses i almost feel like you know tim burton's first full-length movie and danny elfman's first soundtrack yeah and it's his first time pairing up with burton Mm -hmm. and i mean the rest is history right yeah they've paired together a lot and i'm pretty sure we just did a tim burton movie with a danny elfman score big fish yeah there you go there was another one as well scrooged uh, Richard Donner directed Scrooge. Yes, but um, Danny Elfman did the, sc- the he was the composer for that. Well, if we're going to do that, then it's also... Summer School. It was Summer School, and I think there was one more. Silver Linings Playbook, Multiverse of Madness. What else you got? Well, those are all the movies that we've reviewed. Oh, okay. I was the, just... The Danny Elfman. <laughs> you just kept throwing them out there, Professor. That was badass. Well, I, I got a big soft spot. He's got a very distinctive sound, and I think that it... it it plays perfectly into the Pee Wee universe, if you will. The eclectic kookiness of this man-child of Pee Wee Herman. It, it, the the musical is whimsical and kooky at the same time. And you know, to think that you know this is where he got started, and and he didn't even want to take it. Tim Burton liked his Oingo Boingo music, 
Paul Rubens liked him for other music that he had done before Oingo Boingo, and eventually they they coerced him into it. And he said that uh, the opening track, the, which is the the main theme music, that's the first piece of music that he sent over. What do you guys think of this? And and they loved it. But he said that it was sweating bullets for the first several weeks. He says it was a lot of sleepless nights because he had no fucking idea what he was doing, but he was just putting it together fast and loose. Oh, sure. And that soundtrack, if nothing, is very catchy. Oh, yeah. And it fits every moment of the film. And then Tim Burton's style of directing. One of the reasons why he was picked for this was for his short Frankenweenie. And that style meshed perfectly with this movie giving that kind of adventure with, you know, fantasy and imagination elements added in. Yeah, and it being Tim Burton's first movie, you would see little glimpses of films that would come later in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Was his next movie after this, was that Beetlejuice? It was. This movie landed him the Beetlejuice opportunity. And with Beetlejuice, that landed him... Batman. After that was Ed, Edward Scissorhands. He went on to do Batman Returns, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow. Out of Tim Burton's other movies, do you guys have a personal preference or a personal favorite that you uh, go, I like that movie. I love that movie. Batman. It's hard not to say Batman, but I really enjoyed Beetlejuice. It's one of my more preferred movies. And actually, no, I think we did this on Big Fish. Uh, Big Fish would be up there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what I said. Alice in Wonderland. Oh, that's right. I, I really enjoyed Alice in Wonderland. Through the Looking Glass, eh, uh, not so much. But Tim Burton has definitely grown on me over the years. You know, this movie, the first week, it debuted at number 21. And then at week number two, it slid to 24. <laughs> but week number three, number three. And then for the next six weeks, it stayed at number three. And then it finally left the top 10 after 12 weeks. So really strong word of mouth. I was going to say, and back in 1985, that's all it was, right? was word of mouth. Absolutely. Did you see this in the theater? Yeah. Did you? I'm pretty sure I did. I didn't. I didn't see it until it came out on VHS. And I got to tell you, the opening sequence where he's making breakfast, that was mine and my dad's favorite scene uh, growing up. That's what I always think of. So uh, that year, 1985, you know what it did perform, performed ahead of? It was, it, it made more than Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome, and Commando. Oh, yeah, I can see that. In 85, so the top movie in 85, I'm guessing, was Back to the Future. Correct. And then... Um, number two is a number two movie. In 85, number two, it wasn't Beverly Hills Cop 2, Ghostbusters 2. No. That would make sense, because that was only a year after Ghostbusters. Ah, fuck, what is it? Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Oh, yeah, there you go. Let's talk a little bit about Paul Rubens himself. Uh, Do you guys know the origin of Pee Wee Herman? Uh, More or less. Uh, Basically, Paul Rubens started out in a group called the Groundlings, uh, which was kind of like, you know, over here we've got like, you know, an improv, improv type groups that just go out every night and come up with topics and put on a performance. Uh, And so he started in the group and in the group with him were people like Phil Hartman. That's where he got his start. Well, one of the assignments that they had was to come up with like comedians, you know, some kind of comedy act and 
Paul Rubens had just was very anti-comedian at that time. He didn't want to be a regular comedian. So he came up with the idea of a failed comedian and he wanted to do a man child style of comedian who encouraged hecklers basically. And then when he got heckled, he would basically use the line of, I know you are, but what am I? Uh, and so what he did was he went out and he borrowed a gray suit from the Groundlings director, Gary Austin, a bow tie from a friend. And then did you hear where he got the name Pee Wee from? Where? Do you know this professor? Uh-uh. He got it from a harmonica that he had as a child. Uh, so Pee Wee, I guess, is a brand of harmonica. So he took that, put this whole persona together, and immediately it was something the Groundlings hadn't seen before. Uh, it just took off, and they started to actually do a Pee Wee Herman show, specifically based off of his character. And it was at a point before this takeoff that Paul Rubens was down to his last $3,000. His parents weren't very supportive of him being out in Hollywood trying to be an actor, and he was preparing to move home. But then this Pee Wee character took off, and he did something that... Um, you know, we heard other actors do, but not to this degree. He became Pee Wee Herman. He started living 24 hours a day as Pee Wee Herman to really build up this character. It went on, you know, basically selling out the current theater that they were in, then selling out the, the Roxy, and then, you know, basically getting, you know, specials here and there. He was just all over the place. It was also at that same time that he tried out for Saturday Night Live and failed. But he went on because of Pee Wee Herman to host Saturday Night Live. So he has just had an epic career with this. The other thing I really appreciate about him is when he did get his big stage performance going of the Pee Wee Herman show, because it actually started as a stage performance before it became, you know, the movie or became the TV series. Um, he brought along those people with him. He actually had cameos in this movie from people who were in the Groundlings with him in that stage show. So, yeah, right on. Really good guy. Uh, another big thing I thought was interesting was a lot of the props that you see in this movie. He he tends to call it or tended to call himself an eccentric collector. He would just collect random things all over the place or collect collections. So a lot of the props you see out in this movie are actually things from his collection. Oh, I don't I don't doubt that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember seeing him on Letterman and he would come out with a bunch of toys and Letterman, he would just sit there and stare at him as he would play with these toys on Letterman's desk. Anyway, he was a very fun character. Each time I saw him on there, I, 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 I just loved him. I thought that Pee Wee as a character gets a little grating to me, but that's just me. But I really did enjoy Paul Rubens and Blow. Did you ever see Blow mm -hmm. with Johnny Depp? No. Yeah, oh, yeah. And he plays the drug dealer. He played. Like, yeah. I just watched that again. I did that whole scene. It yeah, and, 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 I, and I always liked to see Paul Rubens outside of Pee Wee because it just showed that he could do other things. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about Pee Wee Herman is originally it started out not to be really kids friendly. He made a lot of adult jokes in his act. Uh, and if you watch the original uh, Roxy special, uh, there's a lot of adult humor, including putting mirrors on his shoes to look up women's dresses, you know, hypnotizing a woman to get naked, things like that. So it wasn't really started out as a kids, kids friendly type performance. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? What do you think of the rest of the cast? They were fine. They fit along with the story. Uh, a bunch of people that were actors in the 80s. I was tickled to see uh, James Brolin, who is Josh Brolin's father, 
Josh Brolin, as we know, is Cable. And so uh, it was kind of funny to see them because when I saw him, I went, oh, look, it's Thanos. And Morgan Fairchild. And Morgan Fairchild. When was the last time you saw Morgan Fairchild? A long time ago. It was probably in the 80s, right? I liked Elizabeth Daly. Uh, I really liked her Dottie character. In fact, I think I even had a crush on her when I was young. Well, that makes sense. Uh, She did great. She's in it for like five seconds. But yeah, she did great. Mm -hmm. Did you see Elvira? Elvira was in this. She was in it twice. Well, I know the lady in the biker bar. Her picture as Elvira actually appears in the magic shop. Oh, there you go. Twice. I know that. And uh, Paul Rubin stayed in close contact with her throughout the years. He's a very close friend of hers. What did you think of the gentleman who played Francis? Oh, he was um, typical for the time. Uh, I, I remember him also from Teen Wolf. So... He's that guy. Originally, that role was offered to Corey Feldman, but he was unable to do it because he was doing Goonies at the time. Thank God. Another cast member we didn't mention in our list was Darla. Who's Darla? Darla is the dog. Speck? Speck. Do you know what other movies Darla has appeared in? No. Darla was the dog in The Burbs was Precious in Silence the Lambs, and was the ratty poodle in Batman Returns. Ah. So Darla has had a pretty good career. One other thing I thought I would bring up is, did you read the story of the writing of this screenplay, of where they came up with the idea? Uh, no. When Warner Brothers first approached Paul Rubens to write the script for this, he, the screenplay, he had no idea. He, him, Phil Hartman, and the other gentleman, they had never written a screenplay. So he started to write something uh, basically about kind of like a boy meets girl type thing and just was going nowhere with it, was looking out of a window in the Warner Brothers studio lot where they had given him a little office and noticed that everybody at Warner Brothers rode bikes everywhere across the studio. So he contacted... Uh, the you know, Warner Brothers execs, and said, when am I going to get my bike? So they ended up giving him a Schwinn bike to ride around the property, and he fell in love with the bike, immediately came up with the idea of a boy in his bike, and ripped up the original screenplay, wrote this new screenplay. One other thing I thought was really interesting is a lot of people, especially film classes, comment that this is the uh, perfectly done movie in that uh, the movie is 90 minutes long. Each act is 30 minutes each, and the script is 90 pages and with each act actual 30 pages. So each page, one minute long. So I thought it was interesting about that, but as someone who's not as knowledgeable as you know other people, especially in this room, about filmmaking, uh, Don or Ken, I was wondering if either of you could kind of explain to me, when you're creating a movie and you put it into three acts, first of all, why three acts? What is each act supposed to represent? And how do you transition from like one act to the next act? The three act story has been around since the dawn of time, right? In the first act, you introduce your characters. In the second act, you put them in a situation, regardless of what it is. And then in the third act, you get them out of said situation. However, if putting it as basic as I can, right? Uh, and then going through and writing it, I think that just with the progression of the story and how it flushes out, it just naturally happens. And I can see why they would teach this in film. It's a great first step into 
trying to break down the three-act story. If you go and watch uh, other movies and if you can point out the three acts, then, okay, cool. Yeah, basically for this movie, I guess you could even just time it. When you hit that 30-minute mark, that's when the next act starts. And you guys know what I'm going to say next. This movie was very (laughs) well-paced. Exactly. (sighs) Is it trivia time? Why, yes, Don. I believe it would be trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to crown a master of movie trivia, I have prepared a series of questions related to today's movie. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. During the Pee-wee dream sequence when he's in the bicycle race, what was the number on Pee-wee's back? 69. Professor is correct. Zero. Who put the winner crown on Pee-wee's head in his dream? 69. Princess or a queen? It's a trick question. Nobody. Miss France went to put on the crown, but he woke up before it was on him. This fucking guy with the trick questions. What type of animal is Pee-wee's slippers? Bunny rabbits. Mm -hmm. There you go. Very good. When Pee-wee gets on the scale, how much does he weigh? 98. Yes, he is supposed to be a 98-pound weakling. (sighs) What is the name of the next-door neighbor that Pee-wee first speaks with in the morning? Mr. Crabtree. Very good. You were paying attention this time. What does the plate on the back of Pee-wee's bike say? 69. Property of Pee-wee Herman. Property of Pee-wee Herman. What are the initials on Francis's shirt? F-U. What did you say, Professor? F-B. F-B, correct. What's the name of the first shop that Pee-wee goes into? Um, something, uh, Moss's Magic Shop. Mysterio's Magic? Mario's Magic Shop. Oh. Oh! What are the three things that Pee-wee buys at the Magic Shop? Trick gum, a boomerang bow tie, and something else. And I'm pretty sure... The steel? Uh, well, the headlight glasses, or the headlight glasses. But doesn't Mario give them to him? I assume they just go on as... Credits or his tab. His tab. What's the name of the shop where Pee Wee buys his new bike horn? Bikerama. No, it's Mitch's Bikerama. That's Chuck. Chuck's, Chuck's Bikerama. Yeah. Chuck's Bikerama. Yeah. What amount of reward does Pee Wee offer for his bike's return? Sixty-nine. Ten thousand dollars. What's the name of the fortune teller that Pee Wee goes to see? Madame Trousseau. Madame Ruby. All right. What is the number on the front of Large Marge's truck? 69. 9,000. No, I didn't see that. What year did Large Marge die? 1980. 1975. 1940. Very close. 1974. I yeah, figured. It's a good year. What was the name of Simone's jealous boyfriend? Andy. Andy. Very good. What was Pee Wee's number on his back during the rodeo? 69. 69, correct. No. Oh. <laughs> no, it was actually nine. <laughs> What band was recording a video during the chase scene across the Warner Brothers lot? Twisted Twisted Sister. Sister. And the final question. What time did Pee-wee's movie start? 69. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. So deducting all the points, all the times that Don said 69, I think that means Professor won and has moved into the lead. Congratulations, Professor. (laughs) Pee Wee 
Foreman has a heavily accessorized bike that he treasures and that his neighbor and enemy, Francis Buxton, covets. Dottie, an employee at the bike shop, has a crush on Pee-wee, but he does not reciprocate. As Pee-wee goes on a shopping spree, his bike is stolen, but the police regard the theft as too minor and common to deal with. Pee-wee assumes Francis took it and confronts him. But Francis' father convinces Pee-wee that Francis was at home when the bike was stolen. Pee-wee offers a $10,000 reward for the bike. Francis, who did indeed pay someone to steal the bike, is disturbed by Pee-wee's relentlessness and pays to have the bike sent away. That evening, Pee-wee holds an unsuccessful evidentiary meeting of friends and neighbors to find the bike, then rejects offers of help. He then visits a phony psychic who tells Pee-wee that his bike is in the basement of the Alamo Mission in San Antonio. All right, gents. Movie opens with a dream sequence. And then we start his day, his morning after he gets up. We get to see the wacky, kooky world of Pee-wee Herman and and the house that he lives in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Growing up, did you want to live in that Pee-wee house? No. No, not once. I may have wanted the breakfast-making machine, but that's about it. I always thought it'd be fun to do all this stuff, but then I thought, somebody has to set it all up you know, every night to do, you know, start over in the morning. Probably be a pain in the ass. Oh, probably. Trivia, what is that contraption style called? Uh, a gorgon maker. Doesn't start with a T, a traditionary. It's called a Rube Goldberg. Oh, a Rube Goldberg, Goldberg yeah, yeah. One of the things that goes on during the morning is Pee-wee goes up to a star sign machine that tells him not to leave the house today. And what happens? He leaves the house and all the bad things happen. So would that be an example of foreshadowing? No. Well, but, but he picked up his fancy bike horn. He picked up the, the trick gum. Right, but the point was the thing said don't leave the house today. So right there, fate or the universe is saying you're not going to have a good day. So I, I don't know. I guess it could be foreshadowing just a little bit. Okay. Did you ever have Mr. T's cereal? Uh, Once or twice. But here's my thing. He makes this elaborate breakfast, has a conversation with said breakfast, and then pours a bunch of Mr. T's cereal over breakfast, has... One bite. Two. Is it two bites? With a lot of crunching. And then he fucking leaves. Hmm? What a waste. That's how he keeps his 98-pound frame. Jeez, I guess. And so uh, Pee-wee's going to start his day. Uh, would you guys think of the whole reveal with him and his bike? Hilarious. So dramatic. It is very dramatic. But yes. I do think it was, besides the dream sequence, it does give you the impression of how much he loves this bike. Oh, yeah. The other question, that, you know, I, I thought about when watching this movie especially, how much, you know, of this is supposed to be reality and how much is supposed to be, you know, a young boy's imagination and fantasy? What? Like, is any of this movie really just kind of in Pee-wee's head? You know, like this whole big elaborate, you know, fake wall that comes up and that um, has the bike in there with special lights on and everything. And then all the gadgets and gizmos on the bike. I I guess I would have to ask the question, what in the movie or what part of the movie would make you even think that? I don't know. It's just something I read that one of the descriptions of the movie, uh, when they first put this movie out was, you know, take a wonderful ride through imagination. And so I thought maybe some of it's supposed to represent 
his imagination. Because as a child, you know, we used to put playing cards in our spokes to sound like a motor so that we could feel like we were riding a, a motorcycle or riding something with an engine. Maybe that's how some of this movie is portrayed. I don't think that Tim Burton was trying to make a thinker. Okay. So what we see on screen, I think, is what we get. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I see what you're saying, sort of a Calvin and Hobbes thing, where mm-hmm. Hobbes is a stuffed tiger to everybody else in the world, but to Calvin, it's a real tiger. Mm-hmm. Right, but they they tell you that in Calvin and Hobbes. Yes, they do. And, so if and they that were trying never, to do it, they would probably is, tell you. Exactly, because it's never revealed any other way. Right. So I just, I mean, I take it at face value at this point. And then we are introduced to Francis, his enemy. His uh, arch nemesis. His nemesis, yes. yes. Uh, what'd you guys think of this? Uh, I thought he did an okay job kind of playing the anti-Pee-Wee, but he can't compare to Pee-Wee. I just thought, oh, I felt almost like anybody could have played that role. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. Probably. And so he uh, makes it very clear that he wants Pee-Wee's bike, and Pee-Wee basically tells him to fuck off, and he takes off to the town square. Uh, Would you guys think of the whole... Just him riding the bike. And you, did you guys notice there's not a whole lot of dialogue for the first 10 minutes of this film? Not really. It's just a lot of him laughing, grunting, singing, and then just the little bits here and there. What do you think of his stunt work on the bike? It was fine. Did you I ever mean, try any of those kind of things? What, turning uh, <laughs> turning my uh, legs to the side? side or, or Putting them up on the handlebars? No, because when this movie came out, I didn't want Pee-wee's Cruiser. I wanted the BMX. It's interesting that one of the things that, you know, Francis basically tells him he'll pay anything for the bike, and Pee-wee says it's not worth, you know, I wouldn't sell it for a, a hundred million, trillion, billion, whatever. The bike actually did sell on eBay. Did you know how much it sold for? It's like thirty six thousand dollars. Yeah, something like almost thirty seven thousand. Yeah. So apparently it was a lot cheaper than what he thought. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. I guess uh, the bike was actually one of ten that they had made for this movie, and the company that made it um, were offered one of two things: either they could be paid ten thousand dollars, or they could have credit in the movie. Do you know which they chose? The money. They chose. Uh, they chose the money. So uh, they didn't get credit in the movie, but Paul Rubens did sign a big picture for them so that they could put it up in their shop. Yeah, well, there you go. And so uh, in the town square, uh, you kind of meet the people that are around. So you meet the BMXers at the bike shop, and they all like Pee Wee, and Pee Wee likes them. And We go into the magic shop as well. Yeah. What would you guys think of him chaining the bike to the clown? Do you guys think that was funny? I thought it was hilarious about the quantity of chainage that he had for the bike to lock it up. Yeah, it just kept going and going, right? I felt like it was a good setup because we had seen his home life, you know, him waking up in the morning with all the eccentric things going on. And then this bike chain is continually coming out of the bike, which would have, what, weighed the bike way down. Uh, so right there, you know what kind of movie you're in for here. <laughs> I, 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 I would have thought that you knew what kind of movie you were in for in the first 30 seconds. So pretty much. That's just me. The fact that he changed it to that scary ass looking clown was one of the things I thought was kind of humorous. I don't know why he couldn't just chain it to like a bike rail, but whatever. Uh, so after the magic shop, he goes into the bike shop and this is where we meet Dottie. I want to go back to the magic shop for just a moment. There is a woman that is looking at Pee-wee right before he puts on the x-ray glasses. Do you remember that girl? Yep. 
And she clearly <laughs> looked uncomfortable with how Pee-wee is behaving in public here. And she's pretty much the only character I see in the movie that, that looks tersely at him, as in like, what is wrong with you? Sure. But everybody else just kind of sort of more or less rolls with it. Yeah. So after the magic shop, he goes and he meets Dottie. Uh, would you get his horn. What did you guys think of this whole bit? This I thought was kind of interesting in really setting up what maturity level Pee Wee is at, whether he's, you know, ready to be into girls or, you know, just that's still an icky thing. And so you get the impression that, yes, now, you know, besides portraying a very immature looking character, he really is a very immature character. Yeah. And then he walks outside and the worst thing that could possibly happen has happened. I am struck by, it is a crowded mall area. There are dozens of people around. How is, how is it that nobody does or says anything having that bike being stolen like that? This is where he faints, right? Well, oh, no, no. He walks back into the store and asks, uh, he sets the horn off and right. collapses into the bike. Right. But the one right, thing right. that really bothered me about the scene is not only did someone get all that chain off the bike, you know, cut it or whatever, but did you notice that they also took time to paint teeth on the clown? Oh, no, I didn't even notice that. Those teeth, I looked specifically this time, the teeth of the smile on the clown was not there when he first locked the bike up. Oh. Uh-huh. And then the police come and they tell him, you know, there's not much we can do. Uh, and then the gal's nice to him, but he's freaking out because it's his bike. And she says, do you have any enemies, this, that, and the other? And he thinks, Francis. And this is where Pee Wee goes gangster. He does. He just walks right in there like he owns that motherfucking joint, yeah. doesn't he? Not only that, he tries to drown Francis. Well, come on. Have you seen the bike? So he's also told that Francis is not available because he's taking a, a, a bath. And I guess Pee Wee doesn't care that, you know, Francis is going to be naked. Well, he wasn't, luckily. Yeah. And so that was kind of curious as well. I but, thought I thought it was kind of curious having a fucking swimming pool in the middle of a room like that. I know. What'd you think of that bathtub? Well, it, I mean, it fits the character. Father comes in, splits up the boys. Do you have any proof that he stole your bike? Well, no. Okay, then. Shake hands, make up. And this is where Pee-wee uses the first of the three items that he picked up at the magic shop, which was the trick gum. Yep. And so Pee-wee leaves, and he is... He puts up a reward sign for $10,000, and Dottie Dottie, uh, says, you can't pay that. Right, right. But... He, he is smart in saying, well, whoever returns the bike is obviously the person who stole it, so they don't get deserve the 10000 That's not bad logic no, it's by not. any stretch of the imagination, you know. And then he holds a meeting. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole bit? I thought it was funny that they were there for three hours. Yeah, and he, just kept, and he just kept showing the evidence and this, that, and the other, yeah. Uh, the scene where after that where... Pee-wee's kind of wandering through the rain and goes into the alleyway. Did you catch the cameo? Uh, from Tim Burton? Tim Burton was one of the street gang Yeah, that uh, Pee-wee scares off. Yeah. I really like that big shadow that they have on the wall and he rounds the corner. It's framed very nicely. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, after this, Pee-wee goes into a psychic. Rubies. And this Who's is also where- a tax accountant. Yes, 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 she is. And this is where we find out that his bike is at the basement of the Alamo. 
I, you know, th- that some of the dialogue in this movie is very catchy, obviously very quotable. Uh, I like when uh, first Pee Wee wants proof that the psychic is real. And he's like, tell me why I'm here. And she's like, you want something. Well, here's my money. Yeah. And then she takes his wallet and this is how she finds out, you know, what she needs to know. Mm-hmm. Pee-wee hitchhikes to Texas, getting rides from a fugitive convict named Mickey and from Large Marge, the ghost of a truck driver. At a truck stop, Pee-wee finds his wallet is missing, having left it with the psychic in his haste, and pays for his meals by washing dishes. He befriends Simone, a waitress who dreams of visiting Paris. As they watch the sunrise from within a roadside dinosaur statue, he encourages her to follow her dreams. But Simone tells him about her boyfriend, Andy, who disapproves. Andy himself appears and tries to attack Pee-wee, who escapes onto a moving train. Pee-wee arrives at the Alamo, but learns at the end of the guided tour that the building does not have a basement. So Pee-wee finds out that the bike is in Texas, and so he's got a hitchhike. Um, One thing I really appreciate about this movie, the way it's written, is each event ends up leading into the next event. There isn't these little, because you talked about pacing earlier, there isn't these little pauses or time for reflection, things like that. It's, you know, he gets picked up by the hitchhiker who they go over a cliff and then he has to deal with things in the dark. I mean, just all these little things, they just, it's, he ends up at the diner uh, or he ends up in the middle of the road where he meets large Marge, uh, gets that story, which leads to the diner. I, I just like the flow of the movie. Sure. Uh, it's all one big, gigantic Rube Goldberg. There you go. Yeah, kind of a great example. Especially the ending, that chase through Warner Brothers. We'll get there. Well, first of all, what did you think of this whole Mickey character, this guy who obviously broke out of jail and, you know, kind of starts, you start seeing a little bit of the rebel coming out of Pee Wee. Oh, sure. I thought it was fine. It was par for the course. It cracked me up how extreme he was. Yeah. You know, he, he was just super intense. Yeah. Did you buy his uh, cutting the label story? No, but I don't think I was meant to. Mm. So No, he just threw that at Pee Wee. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you guys think of when uh, they're about to go through the roadblock or whatever? Pee Wee's like, no, wait. And the law. Dresses up. The law. The law. Dresses up like a girl. Did you get the, the two influences of Pee Wee's drag outfit? Laverne and Shirley? Uh, olive oil. I can see that. And the mannerisms were supposed to be based off of Paul Rubin's own sister. Well, how on God's name would I have known that? It was said in the interview. Oh, well, assuming I watched said interview. What'd you think of the large march? Basically, I, I read somewhere that when Paul Rubens was talking with the actress who played large Marge, he told her, your character is going to be one of the ones that is really remembered. From this movie and she didn't believe him years later when they met up again she basically said he was 100% right it's also a scene in which Tim Burton I guess it's one of his trademarks to have some kind of claymation effect where eyes go big and a face freaks out apparently he does that in a lot of his movies well this was his first movie so this kind of set the tone for it 
Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see it happens in Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, uh, Alice in Wonderland. It, it happens in a lot of them. And so uh, after Large Marge, we end up at the diner. And then he realizes that he doesn't have his wallet and he's got to wash dishes. Uh, I did like the Simone character and I did kind of like how she took pity on him and, you know, gave him some cash. And But then we kind of go in a weird direction. Did you guys think anything was going to happen with Simone and Pee Wee? I got the impression earlier on that Pee Wee's character is meant to be sexually ambiguous. That we don't know if he's straight, we don't know if he's gay, and we and we're not meant to know in any of his movies. He pretty much plays this ambiguous character. Oh sure. If so. I had to say any parts of the movie was a little bit slow, this is the part with them and the sunset and all of that. I, I felt like the movie really slowed down there. Um, I didn't know if all of that was needed. So in the morning after they watch the sunrise, he leaves. He runs away because Andy's chasing him. Where does he go to? He, he goes. Ju- he jumps onto a freight train. Yes. And he meets the the vagrant. What do you think of that whole scene with the vagrant and the singing? And is okay. Is that how you feel about us sometimes? Like it starts out all fun and oh, and then I want to jump off the fucking train. You want to throw yourself off a train? I don't want to say yes, but yes. <laughs> do you guys like this whole hobo bit? I I've, I know I've seen that that older gentleman actor. And other things, and I've always liked him. I always found him kind of humorous. He makes it to the Alamo, and um, we get Jan Hooks, yeah, as the before uh, before Saturday Night Live as well. Yeah, and from what I've read, she improvised that whole much thing, the whole tour. And I love the part about what did she say? Like, there's you know six hundred different ways to prepare corn, and I'm going to tell you about each and every one. Yeah, yeah, she, uh, she was good as a tour guide yeah. for sure. And then, you know, they get to the end of the tour, and he says, where's the fucking basement? And she says, there is no fucking basement. And and they did one of those things that, again, I you know, have to wonder if it's a little bit of imagination where everyone points and starts laughing when you do something stupid. No, none of this happened in his imagination. Okay. I'm telling you, bud. So they all turned around and started taking pictures of him because he was the stupid tourist? Yes. That's okay. how I took it. Me too. Okay. So he's dejected. He's at the bus station now, and he just, and he decides to call Dottie. He tells her that he's he's learned some things on the road, and and he's ready to come home. And <laughs> I got to say, I laughed out loud in the theater so much when he pr- proved that he was in Texas. Listen, I'll prove it. The stars at night are big and bright. Big and it's again, it's a credit to the writing in this movie. At a bus station, Pee Wee encounters Simone, who tells him she broke up with Andy and is on her way to Paris. She tells Pee Wee not to give up searching for his bike. Pee Wee calls Dottie at the bike shop and apologizes for his behavior. Andy spots Pee-wee and resumes chasing him. Pee-wee evades Andy at a rodeo by disguising himself as a bull rider. Forced to ride a bull, Pee-wee nearly sets a world record but is knocked out. He visits a biker bar to make a phone call and a biker gang threatens to kill him after he accidentally knocks over their motorcycles. He wins them over by dancing to the song Tequila in a pair of platform shoes and they give him a motorcycle for his journey, which he crashes immediately. 
this is one of the bits where I laughed out loud too, is when he's trying to prove to Dottie that he's in Texas. And that's such a Texas thing to do. I just feel like, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? He just sings the Texas song and then they all reply. I wonder how many people after this movie started doing that in Texas. I'm sure people do that all the time. As a matter of fact, when I was in Texas, guess what? I did the same thing. Did you get a response? Yes. Yes, I did. And so he calls Dottie and apologizes for being a dick because, you know, he's he's grown. He's a man of travel now. And uh, he says, can you wire me a bus fare home? And she's like, yeah, okay. You know, she's never really mean to him at all. She's always supportive. Yeah. Well, I think she understood that he was distraught about his bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just trying to be a good friend in hopes that, you know, that might turn into something else for her. She might get a little something, something. And so uh, before he can get the ticket, Andy shows up, sees him, and starts chasing him again. Okay. I laughed again at this part when he stands up because he's so much taller than everyone else. I went, oh, that was kind of clever because he was face down. Well, one thing that Julie brought up at this scene is how does someone buy a bus ticket to Paris? My only thought is maybe she got a bus ticket to the airport. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure Austin doesn't fly to Paris, probably only through Dallas, so she needs a bus ticket to Dallas. Oh. So. But so you're right. Andy chases him uh, all the way to the rodeo. Uh, have either of you seen Buckaroo Banzai? Across the Fifth Dimension? Not in a number of years. VHS. Well, here's the interesting thing. I guess there's a scene in that movie. I, I've seen it a long time ago, too, and I vaguely remember this, where Jeff Goldblum. Buckaroo and several characters are walking along. One is wearing the Pee Wee Herman gray suit. One is wearing the rodeo costume. Jeff Goldblum, I think, is wearing the rodeo costume. I'm wondering if they got the idea for the gray suit from seeing Pee Wee's original performances, and then Pee Wee, in return, took the cowboy outfit for his movie. Having a clue. So I wonder if there's some kind of connection there. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, what do you think of this whole rodeo riding the bull kind of thing? At this point, for me, it's all kind of paint by numbers. And so whatever madcap misadventure that Pee Wee needs to get in next in order to move the story along, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen quickly because it clips right. We don't spend too much time on any one thing. In anywhere. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, you know, uh, him getting on the bull and trying to evade Andy was just the next natural progression of what needed to happen. And I I thought it was fine. And I do like how they tied it up with Andy was wearing a red shirt. The bull sees the red shirt. Now we've got Andy taken care of. He's chased off. Yeah, well, red and white is a very popular theme throughout this entire film. And so uh, after the bull, he gets knocked out. What do you remember? I remember the Alamo. Yeah, and everyone cheers. Yeah. And then he ends up at a biker bar. What did you guys think of this whole bit? The bit where he's trying to use the payphone. Shh, I'm trying to use the phone. And everyone stops and looks at him. And, I have said that so many times. Uh I, I liked a bit, and okay, maybe this is like the third time I laughed out loud, uh, when they're all like, we should kill him, we should hang him and then kill him, we should tattoo him, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, we should let him go. I thought that was no. kind of funny. Yeah. I say let him go. And this is where we have uh, uh, Elvira show up. I think her name is Cassandra. Is her real name? Yeah, yeah. And, and she shows up and she says, I want to have my turn with him first. And, you know. 
he says, I, uh, don't I get a last request? Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most famous scene from this movie. It's the most iconic. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, good word. This dance that he does to tequila was actually something from one of his stage shows. Uh, and he had done it, I guess, many, many times. It kind of had become a, a, iconic with the character. So, of course, he had to work it into the movie. Uh, do you know kind of where it comes from? His dance moves? Yeah, his dance moves. His head, I'm going to guess. No, it actually stems from, I guess, an kind of inappropriate adult joke from his father. Oh. His father used to say that, and I don't know exactly how the joke works, but you're supposed to put a thumb in your mouth and a thumb in your butt and then just occasionally switch them out, reverse it. And so that's kind of the style of the dance he's doing is the thumb to the butt and thumb in the butt and the finger in the mouth or thumb in the mouth. Well, well, I, I didn't get that at all. I know, but that's just supposed to be, I guess, the style of it. Inspiration comes from the strangest places. Yeah. But you're right. And it, it is one of the most iconic things I remember as a kid practicing doing that kind of dance on my tippy toes and I could actually do it. Why doesn't that surprise me? And so he wins over the gang. They give him a bike. And a vest. You see that? He's an honorary member of Satan's Helpers. Satan's Helpers. This is the scene that Julie laughed out loud very loudly. Why? Because he ran into the fucking thing? When he runs into the sign as he's trying to leave. And then the very next scene, all the bikes surrounding the the ambulance. They're giving him an escort to the hospital. Yeah. And then we get this crazy fucking dream. What'd you guys the, think of this dream the bit? Crazy clowns again. Yeah. Yeah. We get, we get to see there's like three crazy dream sequences in this. Yeah. Rules but, of three. Well, that, and you'll notice there are, are themes throughout this movie that carry through. And I'm guessing the clown had to do with, you know, the clown that looked at him when his bike was stolen. Mm-hmm. Did you notice also how many times dinosaurs appear in this movie? There are six, at least six occurrences of dinosaurs throughout this movie. Sure. I believe it. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the point of that was, but... Tim Burton likes dinosaurs. Yeah, they just kind of worked in these, the reoccurrences of things. He awakens in a hospital and sees a television news report in which his bike is being used as a prop in a film. Pee-wee sneaks into the Warner Brothers studios with Milton Burrow in Burbank and grabs the bike. Security guards chase him across the studio lot and through several active sets before he escapes. Having escaped the lot, Pee-wee discovers a burning pet shop and rescues the animals. The firefighters declare Pee-wee a hero, but the police arrest Pee-wee for his intrusion at the studio. They return Pee-wee to the studio to face Warner Brothers president Terry Hawthorne. After Pee-wee pleads his case that the bike belongs to him, Hawthorne decides to drop the charges and return Pee-wee's bike in exchange for the rights to adapt his story into a film starring James Brolin as P.W. Herman and Morgan Fairchild as Dottie. In the film, the characters must retrieve their stolen motorbike, which contains important microfilm from the Soviets. Pee-wee has a cameo role as the hotel bellhop, though his voice has been dubbed. So, after this crazy fucking clown dream, he wakes up and he sees on the TV his His, fucking bike. His bike is being given as a gift. Yeah, uh, to that kid from Wonder Years. The yeah, the kid, uh, the older brother. You're absolutely yeah, his right. His name, uh, Jeremy or Jason Harvey. Jason Harvey. And then magically, uh, with a blink of an eye, he's in California. 
And he goes to the Warner Brothers lot. What did you guys think of this whole bit? I thought it was a clever way to sneak in behind Milton Berle. Oh, yeah. And how long has it been since we've seen Milton Berle and anything? I can't remember the last thing I ever saw him in. Maybe Hollywood Squares? Yeah. Probably this is the last one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. It was probably this. Uh, but he does uh, manage to sneak on. When I watched this last night, you know what it reminded me of? Blazing Saddles? No, but good call. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when they go through the studio. Same kind of bit. I wonder mm-hmm. if Kevin Smith got that from this. Mm-hmm. You never know. So anyways, he finds the bike and he sneaks onto set dressed, dressed as a nun. Dressed as a nun. Uh, did you guys, either one of you ever watch uh, the Pee Wee Herman original stage show or the uh, show that came out afterwards? Not really. I th- I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse a couple times. Yeah. but There's a character in the Playhouse called uh, Miss Yvonne. She's one of the more popular characters in this thing. She was that nun that was having problems with the boy. Well, so she had a little cameo in there too. There Phil go. Hartman had a couple of cameos. In fact, he was the rodeo announcer and the cameraman or one of the reporters at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him at the end as the reporter. So basically Pee Wee uh, does the whole thing of stealing the bike right when they're filming. This starts off a whole chain of events with this big chase. what did you think of the whole chase scene? It was fine. It played out kind of the way I thought it would, even back when I watched it. But, you know, a series of events uh, happen, and Pee-wee manages to escape, and I thought I thought it was fine. I did like the idea that as each thing happens, they add new characters to the mix. So, like, you know, they add Santa with his sleigh. All of a sudden, Godzilla's in the sleigh. They're dragging the beach people behind them. And I thought that was kind of amusing as each thing keeps adding to it. It's a Rube Goldberg. Yeah, exactly. It's not really a Rube Goldberg, but I hear what you're saying. Can't you just go with it? Very mechanical. Just once? I did. Okay. He went with it once, and now he's not doing it. (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) Um, And then all of a sudden we get a video of Twisted Sister uh, performing. And uh, I love the song. Uh, something like burning hell or going to hell or Satan's fire or something like that plays very nicely with the biker gang that Pee Wee just ran into. Mm-hmm. So uh, what'd you think of this whole bit there, professor? Oh, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, the, the wacky hijinks, you know, the, the bombastic nature of, of the chase and Pee Wee, you know, just, you know, uh, taking us through the back lot and then to see all of the different movie sets that he's, that he's wreaking havoc on were just, you know, so fun. I also really enjoyed how he ultimately escapes by, by the, 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 the rocket boost. And then he comes down off of a roof of a house and he screeches to a halt. Right. And he gives the kids a thumbs up during this chase. Uh, we, I'd mentioned earlier that the things he got at the magic shop, how he used each one of the items. You know, he used the trick gum on Francis and his dad. One thing we didn't mention is while he was out in the darkness, he used the headlight glasses to see in the dark with all the animals around him. Well, this was actually something that they either cut from the movie or they cut from the script. But when he was doing the, you know, during the chase and doing the Tarzan thing across the river, he was supposed to use the bow tie, the boomerang bow tie. I was wondering earlier when we were talking about it, I don't remember seeing him use the bow tie, so I was going to ask about that. Yeah, so that's one thing they end up having to cut out of the movie. And so he does escape, and uh, as he's making his getaway, he stumbles upon a pet shop. That's on fire. And then 
what do I do? What do I do? And he decides that he's going to help the animals. Of course he is. Yeah, of course Pee Wee's going to help the animals. Uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, his smart move. He frees the chimpanzee first to help him free the other animals. I guess Tim Burton has a deep, deep fear of chimpanzees. Oh. So he has a deep phobia of that. Paul Rubens, on the other hand, has a extreme phobia of snakes. Yeah, I don't like snakes either. So as I would have let the snakes burn. Yeah, so as he was passing by those snakes and then his reaction when he grabs them, those were all real. Those were all Paul Rubin. And uh, Tim Burton insisted when he carried the snakes out, he had to carry real snakes to get the real fear reaction. Oh, I believe it. And so he saves all the animals, uh, but he gets fucking arrested. Yeah, the authorities show up. Hey, this guy's a hero. Well, he's being arrested. Right. And so he goes to the studio president, and, and they, they force him to sit and watch all of the all of the mayhem that he had caused. And then he just simply says, "I'm really sorry," you know. And then the president's like, "Hey, this this is a great story. Let me tell it." Mm-hmm. And so they make a movie. Does that mean he didn't get paid? Um. Well, no, he was in it, so he got paid something. Right, he was a character, and he had speaking lines, so he probably got at least minimum. Yeah. So, do you know that it, the fact that he played a bellboy, uh, what is special about that scene? He played a bellboy in something else. Uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie oh, that's was right. one of his first roles. He played a bellboy. He was also in another movie that we reviewed. Who? Cheech and Chong were? No, Paul Rubens. Was he in Big Fish? No, Paul Rubens. He played a waiter, if that helps. Oh, Pulp Fiction. Nope. Nope. That was Steve Buscemi. Mm -hmm. He was in Blues Brothers as a waiter. Oh, was he? Yep. Oh, well, there you go. That was two of his first uh, roles that he ever had. Yeah. And so after the head of the studio says, let's make this movie, we we now get said movie, and we get James Brolin, Morgan Fairchild, and the special motorcycle. Seeing the film at the drive-in theater, Pee-wee gives refreshments to the different people he met along his journey, then joins Dottie at their bikes. He also encounters Francis, who tells reporters he is Pee-wee's best friend and that he taught Pee-wee how to ride. Francis claims to be knowledgeable about Pee-wee's bike, but sets off one of the bicycle's gadgets, catapulting himself into the air. Pee-wee decides to depart with Dottie, claiming, I don't have to see it, Dottie. I lived it. Roll credits. Uh, what'd you guys think of the whole movie that they made? Hilarious. And the fact that it was so, it was such a souped up, you know, hyper uh, story of Pee Wee's story is what makes it so fun. It was a James Bond version of Pee Wee's story. Yeah. Well, yeah. earlier on in the movie, when he was talking about his bicycle, I don't know if it was the BMX kids or whatever. He says James Bond kind he of said, stuff. He said, this is James Bond kind of stuff. And in the end, it's basically a James Bond kind of movie. And in the end here with James Brolin, what was special about that is James Brolin actually tried out to be James Bond and got turned down. So the fact that he now gets to play a Bond-like character in a Pee Wee Herman movie, it's kind of fitting. Yeah, must have been a dream come true for him. I'll bet it was. Yeah, P.W. Herman. P.W. Herman. And then uh, we are now at the drive-in. Watching said movie. Right. And, and this is where we have the, the movie show. It's revealed to us in little bits as Pee Wee makes his way back to Dottie. 
dropping off the different uh, treats for all of the people that he's met on his journey. Yeah, kind of like a regrouping of all the characters that he met along his journey, and now it pays off at the big premiere, and kind of a very fairy tale story ending. Sure. You know what I mean? I love the fact that he tries to sneak Mickey a foot-long hot dog yeah. with a big uh, file. file in it. Yeah, yeah. But hey, at least Mickey got to come to the movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's got to be that's got to be worth something. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah. And all the hobos and what did he give the hobos? Uh, snow cones, wasn't it? It is yeah. correct. And then uh, for uh, Simone, what did he give her? French fries. French fries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Terry Hawthorne. Who? Terry Hawthorne, the president. Oh, the president, wasn't it? Uh, like some kind of chocolates. It was chili dog. Chili dog. Chili dog. Chili That's dog. right. That's and right. what was it that he gave Dottie at the end? Not a kiss. No, he threw a bunch of candy up in the air. Yeah. What a dick. At first he said he didn't get it for her. And there it is. Yeah. yeah. She was in a nice, pretty red dress. I know. And the dogs were there and it was like a date. But Pee Wee not having it, man. Pee Wee's not having it. He's seen things. And that is Pee Wee's big adventure. Have either of you seen the sequels? I saw Big Top Pee-wee. I saw Big Top as well. I don't think it was as good, though. Not nearly. No. Pee-wee, the Big Top wasn't as good, but there's another movie that came out recently called, I think it was Pee-wee Takes a Holiday. It's on Netflix. Yeah, and I didn't think that one was too bad. That, uh, it was a good return to it and almost a good kind of ending of the character. I haven't checked it out. Yeah, you might check it out because it kind of takes him to a point where he starts to mature a little bit. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about, Paul Rubin's arrest. Did that does did that sour it for you at all? You know, when I first heard all those details coming out that supposedly he touched himself in during a, in a theater during a pornographic movie, uh, it ended up being a lot of he said, she said, and he never got found guilty for anything more appropriate than being in that theater that got busted. It was indecent exposure. Indecent exposure, yeah. Um, but then they, after that, he got linked to um, pornographic material with minors. Yeah, did you but hear about that story? I did. I just recently heard about that. And as it turns out, it was more of, and he even comes out and admits uh, being eclectic and a, and a collector of things. And, and the photographs that he was collecting were old-timey uh, type photos, artistic photos, and they had minors in it, but not necessarily in a sexual yeah. manner. It was so, basically he had bought a collection of photographs and magazines, and he hadn't even gotten through all of them yet. He hadn't even seen them all yet. It's just he was into buying collections. Yeah, and so in reality, what happens is is he just gets arrested for jerking off. Yeah. So, and the other thing uh, that case that you know he had those inappropriate pictures and all that, uh, it got busted down to just having obscene items. Yeah, he paid, there was no child pornography or anything he, like that. Or, he, yeah, he pled guilty, uh, registered as a sex offender, and paid his fines and put it behind him. Uh, but after all of that came out, did it sour you guys on him at all? I don't know if it soured me on him necessarily, because what I have is just Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That That's where, he, and then his time went, that I would see him on Letterman. So it didn't make me uh, like that or diminish it in any way. As for him as a person, I don't know, because he, he was pretty much thrown from the spotlight of things. He, yeah. was, he was shunned after that. Yeah. 
One of the interesting things I remember about that whole situation, I was a little iffy about who he was and what he was doing in his real life when all this came out. But then did you see him when he appeared? He, he, he stayed away from interviews and everything that for a long time after that, but he appeared at the, at the MTV Movie Awards. Do you remember that? No. He basically came out, and he wasn't sure how the audience would react to him. He came out as Pee Wee Herman, got up to the mic, looked around for a sec, and then asked the audience, heard any good jokes lately? Yeah. And the audience went crazy and gave him a standing ovation. Yeah, well, he embraced it. Talking about who Paul Rubens was, we made mention that he was kind of eccentric and that he had all these collections. And I, from what I've heard, these collections were very precious to him. Oh, shit. Here we go. And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I take whatever movie we are currently reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So for Pee-wee Herman's big adventure, I think it's pretty obvious that Pee-wee is our Frodo. The movie's title even says his big adventure. He's the one on the journey, both to find his bicycle and to grow as a character. Dottie, I would say she's his Samwise. She's the one Pee-wee ultimately always turns to for help. She also continues to support him even when he tries to push her away. Gandalf? Well, I chose Ruby the fortune teller for Gandalf. Even though she wasn't truthful and she's not in most of the movie, she is the one that advises Pee-wee and puts him on his journey. He likely would not have expanded his search across the country had Ruby not put him on that path. Legolas is Speck. Pee-wee's dog appears to be his closest companion and confident. Therefore, Speck, even though he doesn't appear in a lot of the movie, is our Legolas. So that makes our fellowship Pee-wee, Dottie, Speck, and Ruby. Now for Gollum, I had a little bit a tougher time. I wanted to choose Francis. After all, it's Francis' greed and selfishness that starts this whole adventure. But if you think about it, he's just a character drawn by the influence of the bike. There's, there is only one person willing to do anything to get his precious back, even if it means alienating those around him, even to the point of violence. And that's Pee Wee Herman himself. Remember that Pee-wee tried to drown Francis based on a mere accusation of stealing his bike, similar to how Smeagol killed his cousin and best friend Deagle over the ownership of the ring. So in this case, Pee-wee is both our Frodo and Gollum. Sauron the White? Well, that's Francis. His actions working against the greater good. The the greater good. good puts this whole adventure into motion. Andy and the security of Warner Brothers' lot, well, that would be our Orakai and our orcs. In this movie, there really isn't one person that is Sauron. No one person is working against Pee-wee to destroy his world. It's more of an idea of fate that is conspiring against Pee-wee through a series of circumstances. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Pee-wee's big adventure, the ring is represented by the red bicycle. You may think there's nothing bad about the bike, 
but look at what it made people do who possessed it or were around it. To Pee-wee, it's his precious. Pee-wee was a wreck when it was taken away. You can see a bit of golem-like corruption come out in Pee-wee when he was in that alleyway after he lost his bike. Francis was so influenced by the bite, he committed a crime just to get it. And although it wasn't destroyed in the end, like the ring, Pee-wee's journey did teach him there are more things to life than just his precious bike. So there you have it, my comparison of Pee-wee Herman's Big Adventure to Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What do you think? I like the ring and bike. Me too. Uh, that, that's strong. And and you're right, it doesn't get destroyed. However, in the dream it does. So, you know, you could go that way. Uh, I think you're way out in left field by calling Spec Legolas, but that's just me. And then uh, who did you, you, oh, the golem with Pee-wee in the alleyway. I like that a lot too. That, that was a good correlation. I'm going to give him a B minus. Listen to you. I'm torn because I wasn't strong on the Gandalf part either, being Ruby and the bit about Legolas as well. Not real strong on that either, but the bike and then the golem. Oh, what the hell? Let's go nuts. B minus. Oh, well, there you go. B minus is all around. You can say thank you now. Thank you now. And that was John's precious moment. Uh, before we rate this flick, did you guys notice that during the chase scene, uh, it was the Wicked Witch of the West theme from Wizard of Oz? I think I did notice that. With a little bit of Danny Elfman-ness in there. Oh, I can... I can hear it now. I didn't I didn't make that correlation before, but I can hear it now. And with the bike and the tune, that's I'm sure it was an homage. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, you ready to rate this flick? I'm ready for my big adventure. Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Somebody says, hey, you want to watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Fuck yeah, I do. A one-fuck movie is a movie where you watch it, you're one and done, and you have no desire to ever see it again. And what's a zero? A zero-fuck movie is you watch it, and then afterwards you're like, oh, for shit's sake, what the hell was that? Why would you make me watch that? I want one hour and 31 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, it was your call, Professor. You're up, buddy. Yes, sir. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a movie that I have seen, uh, I don't know, maybe a dozen times. It's always been a fun watch. It never disappoints. The movie clips right along. It uh, does not spend any one, uh, I don't think it spends in any one place for too long. The music is delightful, and it is every bit as uh, eclectic and uh, and, uh, unique with the persona of Pee-wee, and it is a delight to watch him in his world, in his element of being just this goofy character in his home and having all of these elaborate things. I will say that this time around watching it, I was minorly distracted by wanting to look at some of the things that were around the room or that were close by to him when I just want to be paying attention to Pee-wee. And I think that that is... I think that that is probably the only uh, thing that uh, worked against uh, me in this movie was me being distracted by the other things that were around him. 
the uh, the nemesis of Francis. That character is such a great foil for Pee Wee because he is a lot like Pee Wee as well. The uh, the character of Dottie, such a sweetheart, and I uh, thought that it was so uh, sweet that this girl can have such you know doe-eyed love for this character of Pee Wee because he's such an eclectic goof. The other characters that we meet along the way, very fun. I remember I was scared so much when Large Marge made that uh, transformation the first time around. And it, and every time watching it after that, if I'm watching it with somebody who has not seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure before, I, 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 I revel, I savor the moments leading up to it, and I take such satisfaction watching the person freak out when that sudden transformation takes place. The movie ends very satisfyingly with all of the people that he had along the way during his adventure of getting his bike back. And so I I think that it's a very fun, easy movie to watch. It's a solid 4.5 fuck movie. Four and a half fucks from The Professor. All right, you or me there, guy. I can go next. All right, buddy. Uh, But before I do, because again, you are on an amazing roll, would you like to guess my rating? You are going to give Pee-wee's Big Adventure four and a quarter fucks. Is that your final answer? No, you're going to give it four fucks. Four fucks. That your final answer? No, four and a quarter. Four and a quarter. That's my final. Okay, then. This movie, released in 1985, uh, has since become a cult classic for the reason that it deserves to be a cult classic. Uh, the combination of you know, Paul Rubens with Phil Hartman... You know, helping write with Tim Burton, you know, coming out to direct with Danny Elfman bringing this, you know, very memorable, you know, music to the movie. It has created something almost like the perfect storm for a memorable movie. Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman delivers a performance that is both endearing and hilarious, you know, creating this man child type character that is you can be sympathetic towards and also feel maybe a little bit annoyed with him at times, but again, in kind of an endearing way that you get this character, we've all had something in our life that we just cared about. Like, you know, Pee Wee cares about his bike and losing that item, you know, wounded us deeply. So you could almost sympathize with him, with his feeling of losing this bike, which is also representative of his own childlike innocence. So, you know, losing his innocence, you feel that and you kind of go on that ride with him. Besides all of that, Ruben's comic timing, playing this Pee Wee Herman type character, uh, just is infectious in this movie. You really can follow his character, whether he's in the movie, outside the movie, future projects, doing commercials, things like that. It's just, it's become an iconic character to our society that, you know, we will never forget. Tim Burton's was, I thought, the perfect director to be chosen to make this movie to kind of give it its surrealistic look and the whimsy that the film needed. His love for bizarre and strange, you know, vis- film visuals and kind of the cartoonish and gothic elements really blends in well and makes this movie work. So 
in conclusion, I think Pee Wee Herman's adventure stands out as a testament to the creative genius of Paul Rubens, Tim Burton, and Danny Elfman. Uh, the root, you know, Pee Wee's character will forever be unforgettable. Burton, you know, pretty much launched his career from this, and again, you know, has just done wonderful things. And I think this movie will continue to endure. You know, we even talked about some of the things that happened to P, you know, to Paul Rubens outside of it. It will endure long beyond any damage he did to his reputation outside of the movie. This character is, like I said, enduring and will will just continue on long past Paul Rubens. May he rest in peace. So with that, I give Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure four solid fucks. Oh, fuck you. It's written right there. You should have stopped while you're ahead. Oh, fuck. 4.25 felt right, though. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. I was leaning, especially when I heard Professor give 4.5. I thought, maybe I need to go back and look again. Gotcha. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Um, I thought that this movie back in 85 was exactly what it was supposed to be. Quirky and, you know, fun and entertaining I think what holds up most for me and Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the nostalgia that I have of watching it with my dad and that that opening breakfast sequence will always make me think of the time that we watched it. Other than that, you know, I'm I'm not really hot or cold on Pee-wee Herman. I thought that the character was, you know, a novelty and he's definitely become a staple in uh, pulp culture. And Paul Rubens has created a character that will, you know, live on forever, really. And I thought that this movie had its moments here and there. I didn't love this movie and I didn't hate this movie. I thought that it being Tim Burton's first directorial feature length. And with Danny Elfman, you could see what they would go on to become. And it was a great launching pad for everyone involved. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not something that I'm going to seek out to watch, or even if it's on that, I'm going to stop and watch. Uh, is it horrible? No. Is it fantastic? Well, not to me. It isn't. So I'm giving Pee Wee's big adventure. Two and a half fucks. I was not thinking that at all. What were you thinking? I was thinking three five for you. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking three point two five. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean it's Pee Wee just doesn't do it for me, I guess. That's fair. With two and a half fucks for me, four point five fucks from the professor, and four fucks from the comic book guy. That gives Pee Wee's big adventure an average of three point seven fucks which ties it in the 15th spot with the Green Street Hooligans, Dogma, Talladega Nights, Halloween, Interstellar, and The Outsiders. It is slightly better than 1917, Top Gun, and Commando, and slightly worse than Hell or High Water, The Blues Brothers, Fallen, and Booksmart. So there you have it, boys. Okay. So uh, you uh, breaking your streak... You still have a really good batting average, though. Yeah, I think so. But you know me. I hate losing more than I like winning. So I'm going to stew on this for quite some time. Yeah, but it's it's a 76, so that's pretty darn good. Yeah, it's not 86. It's not 96. Is it there, pal? Hey, friend. 
and that's your pal. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, they can find us at our website, Three Guys in a Flick, at www.threeguysinaflick.com. You can also find us at all of social media and any place that hosts podcasts. All right, I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone else who listens and who has requested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Things you don't know about me, Dottie. Wait, is that your Godfather impression? Yeah, my Pee Wee Godfather impression. That was very Marlon Brando-ish, wasn't it? it? Listeners, if you could see me now, you're fingering your nose. There are a lot of things you don't know about. (laughs) I sound like Joe Pesci. You know what? I I give you all the credit for even attempting it. Yep. <laughs> I was going to get all dramatic. The 1989. But yeah, <laughs> Batman. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of got 69 on the brain a little there. What? Who doesn't? <laughs> Speaking of porn and touching yourself. Okay. Precious? Uh, I don't have a good lead in. What's a good lead in? Speaking of porn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You're not into your peewee kink? No, I because I think it's creepy then i'm gonna take this fucking suit off why did i even wear it that was for later john (sighs) he just rolls his eyes he knows what's coming as i'm rubbing my hands together all right there comic book guy what do you got for me i got three one three of them that i'm kind of kicking around okay i got one let me get mine out of the way and we'll see what happens okay what about you how many do you got zero okay shocker peewee's big ass venture Asventure, that's not bad. Yeah? I was originally thinking Pee-wee's huge adventure. Uh, uh, penis's big adventure. I like that one better than the first one. Or Pee-wee's big advantage. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with number two on that one. Pee-wee's porn adventure. Yeah, I mean, that one's kind of staring at you at the face. Is it wah, wah. Kind of, isn't it kind of hitting a little close to home considering the shady uh, things that we were speaking about earlier for Paul Rubin? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But hey, man, to each his own. Yeah. You know, and if he likes porn, God bless him. You, you do, boo. You do you, boo. That's right. All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night. <laughs>